Hello, and welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, the <laughs> podcast where two MFA friends talk writing craft, sometimes joined by guests. Like today, for example, we are joined by Esteban Rodriguez, who is a poet from Central Texas. Yes, we have an excellent episode. We talk about Thomas Pinchon's The Crying of Lot 49, and about sentence lengths, and really about subject matter a lot, is I think what comes in as a big emphasis on this episode. Yeah. Yeah, writing about stuff you hate is something mm-hmm. that we talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good one. We hope you enjoy. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, Emily. Hey, ben. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. It's going very good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so happy to see our guest today. Yes. Hi, Esteban. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hello, oh, Esteban, Esteban, you can't just wave. You're gonna have to say yeah, hello. Hello, hello. Friend. my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> this video chat's deceiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, welcome to the pod. Welcome super to the pod, Esteban. Super glad to be here. Yeah, super glad to be here, and thank you all for the invitation again. We are Gosh. so thrilled you accepted. Okay, let me read your bio. Everyone, welcome Esteban Rodriguez. Esteban Rodriguez is the author of five poetry collections, most recently The Valley, which was published by Sundress Publications uh, last year, and also the essay collection, both Before the Earth Devours Us, which was published by Split Lip in also last year. Dang, Esteban, you had two books last year? Um, (laughs) He is also the interviews editor for Ecotheo Review the senior book reviews editor for Tupelo Quarterly, and associate poetry edi- editor for Agni. Wait, I've like read Agni a, to- a ton. Is it Agni or Agni? It's Agni, Agni. I am so ignorant. Thank God you're here. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. <laughs> and associate poetry editor for Agni. He currently lives in Central Texas. Welcome, Esteban. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for that bio as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should, I, uh, it's amazing um, how often I will read something and not know how to pronounce it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember making fun of a friend who didn't know how to pronounce quinoa, um, and now I am doing the same thing with Agni. <laughs> Ooh. Well, what I was think... the quinoa pronunciation? Quinoa. Ooh, okay, okay, close. We... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, she had the spelling down. She had the spelling down. <laughs> I think when I was younger um, and trying to expand my vocabulary, I always pronounce chaos is chaos so um, very <laughs> awkward uh, encounters with people <laughs> uh, somebody somebody just told me that's not the way you pronounce it <laughs> i think it was an adult <laughs> if i'm not mistaken so good good reality check i think yeah done could have been could have been much worse could have been much worse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well welcome to the pod, pod esteban um for for the, our, our loyal dozen listeners um you will remember hearing esteban on our alien lit mag episode um that was one of the esteban's uh poem rave was one of the two pieces that matt and claire the editors of alien lit mag selected for us that week most definitely um super glad of like that they were able to mention that poem um i remember writing that um kind of early on during the pandemic and then i submitted it to just kind of at home working and would always submit to literary magazines and submitted it to alien because we really like their mission really like their mm. art um just the whole concept of the magazine that they were doing and i was super happy for it to have published with them so yeah yeah they're super nice people too yeah Indeed, super are. duper nice people Okay, well, mm-hmm. speaking of nice people, let's talk about Esteban. Um, <laughs> Esteban. So usually Ben and I start off these episodes by confessing how little writing we've done in the past week. Um, mm-hmm. When we have a guest, we like to ask that guest, 
what is your writing routine? How do you actually accomplish getting words onto the page? And specifically for you, Esteban, what the fuck? You had two books published last year? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I, um, I do very little writing, actually, throughout the day, or at least I've found um, as the years have progressed, I, I'm doing very little writing. When I was younger, uh, starting off as a writer, I was consistently writing like hours on end uh, and it was poetry that's what I started off with and so I'd mm -hmm. write in notebooks um, and I used to have like journals and journals filled with writing um, but I found uh, as like I, I got older and I, I, I started a career and just like um, just took on more responsibilities in my life the, 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 the writing or at least the quantity uh, just diminished uh, considerably um, so like many people or many poets, I actually write um, on the notes app in my phone um, yep. just because it's always with me. I just know it's going to be there. Uh, there's mm -hmm. certain times I work at a high school where I'll have to proctor a test in my phone. Uh, there's no technology in the, the classroom. So I get some post-its and just like scribble down some thoughts and ideas and try to come up with some lines for a poem. Uh, but for the majority, it is on the notes section of my poem. But I think as I've gotten older... I've realized that the the quantity um, I can I can sacrifice that quantity because now I have the quality um, or at least I hope I have the quality, um, <laughs> and and that's what I if I can if I can get in two lines if I can get in ten minutes of writing a day um, I'm pretty satisfied with that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So you also work, it sounds like full time at this high school, mm -hmm. right? So yes, I do. Are you when you say like 10 minutes to get a day is the goal, are you squeezing it in like on lunch break kind of situation? Mm -hmm. Or are you talking like before school, bedtime? What like, what are no, the logistics? No. I, the yeah. logistics are from my office to the restroom. Uh, and it's just sort of <laughs> writing this on the notes app, if I remember. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll be during lunch. Um, other times it'll just be um, when I'm um, in the hallways. I, I'm kind of, I, I work as a counselor, so I'm also somewhat of an admin on the campus. It's a very small high school, um, so it'll be during transitions uh, between class periods. I might write a few things down. But lately, mm -hmm. I've actually been, um, I found a whole bunch of poems from 2013, kind of when I started off writing in my Gmail. And I was telling my girlfriend about it, and I was like, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just start revising all these poems sort of to fit, um, love the ideas in them, but now to fit the, the language that I think I possess now that I didn't possess then, and just been trying to revise a lot of those poems. Good yeah. for you. Being That's able to go sense. back to the earlier work and not just like turn away in disgust, which is like my <laughs> reaction if I look at something I wrote in 2013, I'd, I'd cry. Like, yeah, so. I, I feel excruciation. Excru <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it is. For nothing but cringe if I look back in 2013 that's for sure yeah well I definitely like I, I enjoy the voice there there's some poems that just mm -hmm. you know, the revision is completely different than um what the original was but at least the poems themselves if, if the idea is there if some of the language is there I had the tendency to use way too many adjectives and adverbs mm -hmm. uh, if I can cut some of that out and and still hold the the essence of the line of when I wrote it in 2013 and introduced it to the voice that I have now um, mm. and blend those two together, I really, really um, am satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. I like that idea too, in that you're basically giving yourself a writing assignment, like mm -hmm. rewrite the subject matter, how mm -hmm. I would write it today. Um, yeah, I like that idea a lot. So, okay, mm -hmm. if you're doing like 10 minutes a day, 
I returned to my original question. What the fuck? You published two books last year? Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I did, yes. Um, <clears throat> the first one was The Valley, which came out in the spring of, of last year. Um, the Valley is sort of an homage to where I'm from, which is deep South Texas, which is known as the Rio Grande Valley. Um, usually people think of South Texas, they'll think of San Antonio, but you got to go about four mm-hmm. hours even further south because they're along the U.S.-Mexican border. And that was a, a really collaborative project with me and actually my sister and my mother. Um, and my sister was living there at that time because she was going to, she had just graduated from nursing school. And I was living in Austin at that time. And the, the particular collection contains a lot of photographs from the valley. So whether along uh, the actual checkpoint in the U.S.-Mexican border or just daily life um, in different towns throughout the valley. And so I gave him an assignment and was like, hey, can you take these photos? Like, it's, it's, it was a little bit burdensome for me at that time to travel um, down to the valley to do this. My sister's yeah. an amazing photographer. So my sister and my mother would go during the weekends, and they'd go. And this was actually in 2020, so kind of like when the pandemic started. Um, and they were, there, was a, there wasn't a whole lot to do. Gas prices were definitely a lot cheaper then. So they would drive around and, and take pictures uh, and they sent me a whole bunch of them, turned them into black and white, and then incorporated them within the actual uh, collection. So a lot of the particular collection deals uh, specifically with valley, with, with the cities, sorry, um, throughout the valley. And um, sort of encounters that I have had, obviously, with like a, a more fictionalized version of myself as a young narrator throughout there. And then the second collection uh, is a collection of essays, personal essays, titled Before the Earth Devours Us. And that was actually, um, as I had said, it was written in 2013 after I graduated with, from my MFA. I decided to give nonfiction a, a try and mm-hmm. would spend countless hours at Starbucks kind of just writing and writing. And when I went back to it at the beginning of, or at the, kind of towards the middle of 2020, I realized that I actually do have something here um, and was trying to blend, my again, my my current voice with my former voice. And I mm-hmm. found that it was actually um, pretty good, I think. And so I just did a lot of heavy revising, cut out some stories or personal essays, and then had a collection and was so fortunate enough to have split the publisher with uh, That's amazing. them last year. So I cool. am bamboozled that you went <laughs> from 2020 finishing, both of these projects finished in yeah. 2020, and then it was published with like a year and year and a half mm-hmm. later that is bamboozling to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call me hoodwinked <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah i i have a question kind of about your process a little bit there um because you mentioned uh for this poetry collection valley that that these poems are like of an interrelated subject matter so when you go to write poetry are you usually thinking of poems in terms of a larger book length project or are you just trying to write, po- write your poems individually no, definitely a, like a book length project. I think um, there might have been, uh, I don't know how hotly the debate is, uh, but at least like um, back in the day, a lot of like poets would write um, individual poems and then form a collection of poetry. Mm-hmm. But, and, and that was great. I love reading those particular collections and there's current writers that do that as well. But I've never found that um, at least useful for me. If I work with the idea of a project, I can, I can see what the end goal is going to be. Um, or the ending is going to be uh, the end result, if you will, mm-hmm. and I can work my way backwards. And I know, like, hey, I 
have to at least get 48 pages if I want a full-length collection and then just work to try to incorporate certain themes and subjects. Mm. And the a consistent voice is also incredibly important as well. So, mm. Mm. I also just want to say, like, I love the idea of a collaborative project with your family yeah. in the middle, in the, especially early pandemic. Like, yeah. just... I'm, I was all early pandemic, but and I actually collaborated and wrote a fiction podcast together, and it just kept me sane. Like to do a creative project with yeah. others remotely was a safe, pandemic-friendly activity that brought yeah. me a lot of joy too. That is um, amazing. Ah, uh, that's this is amazing. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> Esteban, we need to get to our marquee topic of the day, which is. Um, the piece of crap that you've brought to us today. So here on the Good Writing Podcast, we are a little bit cruel to our guests because we make them do homework in order to come on the show. Um, Esteban has done his homework and then some. So Mm -hmm. we have our guests choose a moment of craft that they think is amazing, that inspires them, that is worth talking about in a whole episode. And Esteban has chosen, drumroll please, um, an excerpt from a Thomas Pynchon novel. Esteban. Yes, so, uh, <clears throat> well, one of my favorite authors, even though I haven't, I've yet to finish Gravity's Rainbow, which is, is, is Pynchon's most um, famous and I think difficult work, um, but I'm midway through, well, kind of midway through, I'll, I'll, I tell people I'm midway through, um, but one of the, the, the books that I absolutely enjoy, and I try to read it every year, is The Crying of Lot 49, um, and it's his, um, if I'm not mistaken, his third book, um, or is one of his earlier books, but it's his shortest as well. And this particular excerpt that I'm reading, um, as like a young impressionable writer um, and trying to find my voice and trying to find the language that I think would sustain mm-hmm. me, I was incredibly um, pulled to different writers such as Cormac McCarthy and people who, who had more of a poetic lens, I guess, within their prose. Um, mm-hmm. And in particular, and Thomas Pynchon definitely does have a, a very poetic lens um, or, when he writes, if you ever read Mason and Dixon, I mean, that whole thing is incredibly poetic, even though the language um, appears to be from uh, a different time. But this particular passage has always stuck with me, and it's one that I always point to, um, really because of, of the manner in which the description is so rich, and the sentence, I think there's only like two or three sentences here in this entire paragraph, um, carries on, and it seems to blend with each other. And there's so much said within the span of just one page that mm-hmm. I thought if I could emulate that, whether it was in a poem or whether it was in a nonfiction piece or whether it's in a story, I don't, I don't write really stories or fiction, um, then I would have done just the great a job as Pynchon was doing in this particular excerpt. So. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. So yeah. Wait, before you read it. Yeah. <laughs> question. How did you first come across this novel? Uh, I think I was just looking up uh, writers um, that I really enjoyed. I think um, oh, well, how I came across this particular piece of work, um, one of my favorite authors is a, a Chilean author. Um, he has since passed, um, Roberto Bolaño. Mm. His most famous book is 2666. And in there, there's a, a, a German writer who's kind of a recluse. And I might have just even looked up um, the description on the Wikipedia page, and I saw like pension like, and then I looked up pension inspired and, by. Yeah, Whoa. and I see that he's like a, a a recluse as well, and so I just start reading his works. Um, this might have been actually the first novel I read, um, The Crying of Lot Forty Nine, just because it's it's the shortest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to um, V, and then Violin, um, did Mason and Dixon. 
and then still have tried, attempted uh, various times to read Gravity's Rainbow. I've made it to about almost like 300 pages um, this past few months, but um, mm. since put it down, read other things, and hopefully can return to it. Maybe even tonight. We'll see. <laughs> we'll inspire you. Here's the juice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, Give him the juice. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, do us the honors. Yes. Uh, and I just want to um, prologue this by saying that the, the, this book was written in the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken. So some of the language um, might be just um, 1965. My apologies. Um, might be a little bit outdated, but um, yeah, we'll go ahead and read this. Yeah, and for some context within the, the actual excerpt, um, the main character here is, her name is Edipa Moss, uh, and she's married to a, a guy, uh, a man named Mucho Moss, uh, who you, who's a, a, a disc jockey, and, but used to work at a used car, so, uh, car lot. Um, he was a used cool. car salesman. <clears throat> Yet at least he believed in the cars, maybe to excess. How could he not? Seen people poorer than him come in, Negro, Mexican, Cracker, a parade seven days a week, bringing the most god-awful of trade-ins, motorized metal extensions of themselves, of their families, and what their whole lives must be like, out there so naked for anybody, a stranger like himself to look at, framed cockeyed, rusty underneath. Fender repainted in the shade just off enough to depress the value. If not Mucho himself, inside smelling hopelessly of children, supermarket booze, two, sometimes three generations of cigarette smokers, or only of dust. And when the cars were swept out, you had to look at the actual residue of these lives. And there was no way of telling what things had been truly refused, when so little, he supposed, came by that out of fear, most of it had to be taken and kept. And what had simply, perhaps tragically, been lost, clip coupons promising savings of five or ten cents, trading stamps, pink flyers advertising specials at the markets, butts, tooth-shy combs, help-wanted ads, yellow pages torn from the phone book, rags of old underwear or dresses that already were period costumes for wiping your own breath off the inside of a windshield with so you could see whatever it was. A movie, a woman or car you coveted, a cop who might pull you over just for drill, all the bits and pieces coated uniformly like a salad of despair. And a gray dressing of ash, condensed exhaust, dust, body waste, it made him sick to look at, but he had to look. If it had been an outright junkyard, probably he could have stuck things out, made a career, the violence that had caused each wreck being infrequent enough, far enough away from him to be miraculous, as each death up to the moment of our own is miraculous. But the endless rituals of trade-in, week after week, never got as far as violence or blood and so were too plausible for the impressionable Mucho to take for long. Even if enough exposure to the unvarying gray sickness had somehow managed to immunize him, he could still never accept the way each owner, each shadow, filed in only to exchange a dented, malfunctioning version of himself for another, just as futureless automotive projection of somebody else's life, as if it were the most natural thing. To mucho, it was horrible. Endless, convoluted incest. Mm. 
Very well read. Um, good yeah, job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Ben, you first. First impressions before yeah. Esteban schools us on this. What's your fir- what's, what are our first impressions? I mean, definitely for me, what stands out the most in this is just the sheer density uh, of this basically page-long section that, that you just read. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're getting this kind of cavalcade uh, of, like, reflection on the subject matter of the character's, like, actual work experience, and then the way that that opens out into an examination of the people that are coming in every day into that job exchanging their cars and then how that how he views that as an extension of who those people are themselves like through the cars that they trade in like mm-hmm. and it you know like all kind of you know really great writing it, it does that thing where it takes something that's mundane and then uses it to you know touch on the profound and mm-hmm. i think he does so very immediately and very like you know attentively like in this section yeah, yeah. weird um I also have some first impressions subject matter wise. One of my uh, first writing faculty that I took in undergrad, um, he would regular his regular assignment was a work story. So take mm. a job that you have had and <clears throat> make it the setting for a short story for in fiction. And it was a really popular assignment because like you just especially if you're working a shitty hourly wage or a shitty a shitty job, um you just get insights about people and how things work that like otherwise a typical person won't someone who hasn't worked that job won't won't have so i love work stories and i just think that like work settings is a really rich area to explore as a writer because this is an insight that like people who don't have that job won't think about and it is really insightful so like mucho the used car salesman um thinking so much about how dirty the trade-in cars are and like the specific clutter from like poverty clutter in in these trade-in cars is really interesting (laughs) like it's really really insightful and for me it was like it made me think about like we just as a country failed the city plan like the fact (laughs) that we are dependent on cars is a tragedy to me um and, and i think especially old junker cars that are about to fall apart are like a real real like tragedy (laughs) um yeah so i think really rich subject matter always is a work story but especially this one undoubtedly and i love ben what you said in terms of like taking the mundane and making it almost like extraordinary and that's specifically what i loved about this was that there was a it wasn't just mere description uh, either. Um, it was, there's certain areas where, like, for example, when he talks about, like, the underwear, old underwear dresses, where it says for wiping your own breath off the inside of a windshield so you could see whatever it was, a movie, a woman, or a car you coveted, a cop who might pull you over just for drill. Like, there we get, like, different aspects of, of, of three different lives, right? A movie, I'm t- probably, um, like, a drive-in movie. Yeah. A woman or a car you coveted. Um, what we think about in terms of, like, desire and possession. Um, and then just, like, a cop just kind of pulling you over just to, for the fun of it. Um, for, how does the phrase go? Shits and giggles. Um, and I, I especially like that because I, I, can, I can see those people behind there without even having a clear image of who they are. And I, mm-hmm. I could also relate it specifically, maybe myself even growing up or uh, 
us trading in our, our truck for a different car, like my uncles owning um, cars uh, that they would try to do for, um, they had like show cars, like low rider cars, um, and they would have like, they just pile cars up in, in my grandmother's yard. Um, and so to be able to relate to that and just like the specific description, just that one paragraph and that one page um, was in quite impressionable to me as a young writer and still is quite impressionable to me as as an older writer, I guess. Yeah, I'm always impressed when a writer can choose an object and, like, create a character that is off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always find that impressive. Like, when we can imply a whole character or a whole life, like, just by this one, you know, stamp or whatever it is, whatever clutter is left. I, I love that. I love that. Um, I love that, too. Okay, so is this the section that you come back to once a year? Um, it is. Well, I try to come back to the to the book um, quite regularly. I think during the um, 2020 election, I came back to it just because of the idea of mail-in ballots and, and, and voting by mail. And this obviously deals with kind of like a separate postal system that's occurring that Edipa unravels. Um, and she tries to find a lot of Pynchon's work is dealing not necessarily with conspiracies, but at least like paranoia surrounding it. And I think there's a lot of that um, in November of 2020 mm-hmm. um, that we found. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> yeah, Cold War anxiety is back, folks. Um, <laughs> sad to say. Um, yeah. Um, I come back to it as often as I can. The, the, the one mm-hmm. book I actually do come back to uh, every single year is actually uh, Blood Meridian by uh, Cormac McCarthy. I read that every mm-hmm. summer, so... But this is probably the, the second book that I've read the most. Okay, cool. Um, so what's, what do you think writers should learn from the section that we read out loud? Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically that nothing is off topic. Um, as mm-hmm. Ben said, the mundane can become like extraordinary. As you said, right, you can talk about like your kind of like shitty minimum wage job. Um, not that, like, I mean, job, a job is a job, right? Like, I'm not yeah. Um, yeah, trying to uh, demean anybody by that. But, like, mm-hmm. you can talk about something that you absolutely um, don't enjoy whatsoever or that you see and don't necessarily think about on a deeper level, and you can make it quite extraordinary. And I absolutely love that. As far as, like, a technique in terms of, like, uh, a writer being able to do that, um, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to write. This is what I become envious when I see it in other writers because mm. I wish I'd done that first or I wish I'd done it better, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, if anything. Um, but I think that's what, that's what perhaps I've always taken away from this is just that I can look at something, I can have something happen in my life and maybe not immediately where I like have to sit down and write about it. Um, but maybe a few months, a year, 10 years down the road, I can actually look back at it and see like, Hey, I got the language to describe this. I can describe it in a way that's going to be relatable, not only to others, but it's also going to spark something in me that just makes it that much more memorable than it was when I actually experienced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those sections that, that I think um, it does something that we think that a lot of like, you know, termed great writing, whatever that might mean, um, at least in the popular milieu is it, no matter what the subject matter is of what's being written about, it's always reaching back to the human condition, like it, it, and the the experience of the subject in this, like and how that relates to their you know view of themselves, not just in that moment, but across their like existence from their past into their inevitable death. 
um, and, and that sort of thing. I, I think that's a thing that we see come up in, like, not just here, but in lots of writing that we consider to be, like, poignant or meaningful, is that whatever its subject is, it, it reaches out past it in, into that kind of eternal existence. Yeah. Mm. I want to talk more about writing about stuff that you hate, because mm. I think it's really mm. interesting um, that this is about how much he hated looking at these dirty cars. Mucho, like... Um, found it convoluted it, it was horrible god awful um i just think that's really fascinating because to write about something with this level of attention to detail is in my opinion like a lot of love is care <laughs> yeah, exactly. right and noticing mm-hmm. things like love is about noticing things like mm-hmm. really taking it in thoroughly and, and so i think like love and hate are kind of related in that way like i mm-hmm. I, I notice more about things that i feel really strongly about mm-hmm. um yeah, I just I think this is interesting, it, and to 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 give this level of care and attention to detail to something that the character hates, I I, I always find Ooh. that ironic. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, I, I have what? a question for. Oh, go ahead, Esteban. No, no, I was going to say like um like we or at least like if if we don't necessarily write about something that we hate, I think we we tend to at least write about something that we're indifferent to, uh, or that we don't necessarily feel a personal connection. But it's that that disconnection that actually makes it more um, meaningful, if anything, because we do, as you said, Emily, we do pay much more attention to what exactly we don't like about it as opposed to what we do like about it, and that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So incorporating it's... maybe just like that 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 writing exercise about your work and then just everything you hate about it into this rich description um, that speaks more about the actual... Um, more than just the actual day-to-day of the work um would be quite amazing it'd be an amazing assignment to do so it makes me think of like i think i've heard a writing prompt before of like describe something mundane as you would describe it to an alien who's never like experienced Mm -hmm. anything like that at all before like to 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 really give the care of how can i describe this thing that i normally don't pay much attention to is is always an interesting task for a writer most definitely yeah. So if you guys were going to write about something you hated, well, what would you choose? Well, what would be this thing that you would Ooh. come to in this moment? Yeah. Ooh, oh, that's so good. That is so good. That's such a good question. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say, uh, just because it's really um, relevant in my life right now, I'm going to say standardized testing. Uh, mm. Just <laughs> as a, a counselor at my high school, I'm in charge of uh, the ACP mm. test, the entrance level exam that students take um, for mm-hmm. college. And it's a it's a decent enough test, but just the like the coordination behind it, and just like the idea of like standardized testing and what it means for a particular student and how it levels, how it measures, I guess, like um, to admissions, college admissions rep um, reps, a student's readiness is mm-hmm. is very, I think at times just ingenuous to the actual students and the institutions themselves. Mm. Esteban, are you going into? personal essay Karl Marx ranting or because like, we this? encourage that we encourage it it is yo we got the Karl Marx Jarrett Kobach we're yeah. all for it on this yeah. podcast but um how would you do it in a way that like I what I love about the section that you chose for us is that like it feels poetic you know it's, it's mm-hmm. a level of attention to mm-hmm. to physical objects and I think language you know that we'll, we'll talk we should talk about sentence length in a minute too here yeah um but it feels really poetic while it's about something that like could have been 
more academic sounding. So like, yeah. how would you do it if you're doing standardized testing as the thing that you hate about it? Sounds like you've like thought oh, and can explain why you hate it, but like, how mm. would you make it feel poetic? Mm. That is really interesting. I mean, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd reflect back on my own. Um, so Texas is a weird state for many reasons, but um, in this particular case, um, any student who graduates in the top 10%, or at least back at what it was in my day when I graduated from high school in 2007, they graduated from t- uh, in the top 10%, they were automatically admitted to an institution uh, like a state institution. So I was automatically admitted to UT Austin, for example. Mm-hmm. I think it's since changed, it's now like the top 6%. And so I'd probably write about my own experience with the ACT. I remember um, I spent the night at my friend's house. Like uh, I had to go take this test. I knew that I was already admitted to UT Austin. Um, not to like gloat or anything, but I just I, it was something I knew. It was a fact. Um, yeah. And this test was 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 nothing for me. Like I I didn't have to really score high on it. And I think I ended up getting. I I want to say. Um, it's a 21, but it was probably closer to a 19. We'll see. I totally forgot. Um, Top but... 6% of your class and you got a teen on the, <laughs> you yeah. a teen on the ACT, man? My, oh, mind you, I um, I spent the night at my friend's house. Like, we stayed up super late. I, yeah. I mm-hmm. think I might have shown up, like, in partly, like, pajama wear. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, like, head really did not care. Yeah, my head yeah. was not in the game. But I, mm-hmm. my head... The only thing I cared about during that, those times was like art and basketball. Um, so I took the test and s- submitted those scores. Again, it didn't necessarily matter, but I might do like a, an interesting like flashback or between uh, me describing the importance of this test to like children that I kind of teach or mentor nowadays as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, the reality of what it was like for me and just like knowing specifically that I didn't necessarily have to take this out. So maybe that back and forth and then incorporate some like social issues throughout uh, mm. the entirety mm. of that essay. I might do it in a more personal level, like a personal essay type. Of yeah, thing. a blend of personal experience, some uh, good eye for detail, like the pajamas <laughs> and then yeah. and the numbers, oh, there we the go. digits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me write this down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um... Ben, what would you do if you were had to turn something that you hated into an in, insightful, object-driven uh, moment in writing? I mean, I don't... Uh, I mean, like, in some ways I did that uh, for my thesis. Uh, my, uh, my, the novel that I drafted out, uh, Hotel, was the hotel is kind of this uh, stand-in for capitalism itself. And, and then with each, um, you know room in the hotel being like an individual view or slice into that um and, and then allowing those to represent different things that i think are horrible about the system that we're all trapped inside of um yeah you turned each room you know if you hadn't told me the sections of that that i got to read if you hadn't told me beforehand yeah. that this was about capitalism i would not have necessarily yeah. noticed you know mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. you went the real surreal out with hotel. yeah then nice. that you know they, they got real weird that's true <laughs> they got so yeah. weird. wasn't there a room where everyone there was a room where everyone was melted right yeah like 
yeah, that's definitely a thing. There's definitely a room with like old people like try, trying to sup from like a, a fountain in the center and, and kind of like drowning in it at the same time. Yeah, that was yeah. a fucked up thing that you read yeah. out loud at a, at a, at a bar once. Yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. That sounds so amazing. I like, yeah. really want to read this. Yeah. Um, I think I might have just, Ben, you might have just given me my prompt for the day. I'm going to jot down on a post-it note that this will be my, my writing exercise today. I think if I had to write about something that I hate and turn it mm-hmm. into something insightful, I would. I hate watching football specifically. Like, I, just, mm-hmm. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. It fills me with rage. Like, I can't even come <laughs> over. Like, a friend was like, "Hey, my boyfriend and I are, are hosting. You know, we're gonna watch the football game that he cares about, and I'll make snacks, and it'll be like everyone who you know, and it'll be nice to catch up with all of our mutual acquaintances." And I was like, "I cannot come. I will be in a mood." <laughs> whole time i will be pissed off i can't articulate why um yeah it I just fills me with rage um yeah. but i did watch um two weeks ago now i'm, I'm an episode behind of repulse drag race was like a mm-hmm. a lip sync royale like a an elimination oh. situation and it okay. was thrilling and so i feel like <laughs> i've got I think that's that's my juxtaposition. This is my exercise Ooh. for leader today. Thank you for the prompt, Ben. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know what I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that that's excellent. Um, just to bring it back, Emily, uh, mm-hmm. we you wanted to bring up sentence length, and I think that's definitely a great thing to talk about in this excerpt as well. If we yes. want to move to that, like we, yeah, I think we need to. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. What a long sentence, Esteban. Ooh. Yes, indeed. Yeah. It is. It is. I think there's like one. Let's see, two, and then it goes to three, four, five. It's a three-quarter like, page sentence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in total, within the paragraph, there might be like five or six sentences. There's short ones towards the end, but at least that mm-hmm. long one um, after that first sentence, yeah, uh, it is quite lengthy to say the least. I like so the the very very long first sentence that you read. <laughs> is um or sorry it was a second second sentence it has two different colons yeah i was <laughs> like, gonna bring that up too yeah like, <laughs> that ain't right um it's a it's a very long list um and then it ends with m dash it made him sick to look but he had to look and i just really like that structure of how to end a very 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 long list sentence of yeah. like m dash like, okay, we're moving away from the objects and towards our point of view character again. Character, like, hello, yeah. we're back in scene, is what that M-dash says to me. I like that structure mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and just, like, even that last sentence, or it made him sick to look, but he has to look sort of the, the, the internal struggle that he had in terms of, like, he has to sell these cars, but he has to, at the same time, look at them. Um, mm-hmm. And here's everything that he's looking at. And it's not just the, the things themselves, it's the lives behind them that he actually views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like it, it drives home what is ultimately a very slippery sentence uh, up until that point also because of the way it moves around between the subject of the objects and those lives like between like the things and what they represent um, that that motion between those two is really kind of caught as the um, like 
exemplified in that movement into his reaction to it like it's there's this contrast between attempting to understand something as an object that you have to utilize for your work and you have to understand it as an object but knowing that it is representative of the people there so and then exemplifying that and that you know it made him he had to look but it made him sick to look at the end like Mm -hmm. yeah it's a really neat way of like wrapping it together yeah Mm -hmm. and also making sure you're not like overwhelmed or lost like you can't lose the thread of this list because we do like visually separate and then with the m-dash visual Mm -hmm. separation and then it made him sick to look we're back to mucho we know mucho we're back in Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. when i cut you off please go oh no no i was gonna say i I like this kind of sense of um except for like towards the end but this getting lost right because it seems like mucho Mm -hmm. himself is is quite lost within all these objects and all this Mm -hmm material that's just within these cars um and i don't think that i've looked at this like i've read this like quite a bit but i'm not sure like how this would look if it wasn't such a long sentence like i feel like Mm. it would lose the momentum and Mm. therefore we would we would we would see pieces of the lives but not in the sense of it being quite as chaotic as mucho experiences it himself um and i absolutely love that i love getting lost in these type of sentences mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, i think you know you're about to get lost in a sentence when you have multiple parenthetical yeah. within the one yeah. sentence you yeah. know this character is in his thoughts <laughs> yeah it, it's interesting to bring up pace with that too because i think like a, a thing that i've noticed with a lot of long sentences and other writers is that it denotes speed a lot of the time like you're swept up in it and it moves quickly but i think like especially exemplified in your reading this is a very slow sentence like in order to really get what's going on you have to sit there with each section and kind of parse it out and understand you know the parentheticals and what they're what he's moving into kind of the topic web instead of just like an individual topic expressed trying to be expressed throughout like so it's interesting to use length to slow the reader down rather than to kind of rush them along like yeah yeah indeed um I w- I'm always reminded of, like, Faulkner. I mean, if you've ever read, like, his earlier things, uh, what is it, uh, Mosquitoes, I think, is the second novel, and then Soldier's Pays his first novel. I mean, those are incredibly traditional, mm. like, novels. Like, there's no kind of, like, experiment with sentence. But, I mean, as soon as you get into Sound and the Fury or As I yeah. Lay Dying, like, you get these mm. incredibly long sentences that mm. do both connotate, like, the pace of, or, um, of an action or a scene, but also, I think, just, like, the... They, in a lot of ways, like, mimic the thoughts of the characters, and I think that's a... Because I, m- myself, even just as I'm speaking right now, I'm not even finishing the sentence sometimes, and I think it just, like, utterly mimics that in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and what Mucho's seen right here is just all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, most realistic dialogue is not grammatically accurate, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, <laughs> narration that's like close to that point of view character that where you're like in more inside their head even if it is still third person like it makes sense for their by the way i was mistaken earlier there are three colons in this sentence (laughs) 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 yeah it just makes sense for, for, for that to echo how the character is thinking too yeah if you are like incredibly interested or anybody really in like these like incredibly long sentences writer i always point to is the portuguese novelist antonio um, lobo antunes Mm. um and a lot of his works are incredibly 
complex, but only because I think the sentence is incredibly long. Um, one of my favorite books of his is um, An Explanation of the Birds, and within it he'll do, he'll obviously have like his very long sentences, but he he goes back and forth where like different voices are vying for attention or for, for narration within a single paragraph, and mm-hmm. it makes it incredibly interesting to read. Um, and you have to like parse it out yourself. So sometimes I'd spend a good few minutes on an actual page to try to get exactly which character it was that was speaking. Um, but it's quite fascinating. Even that as a sounds really as interesting. a reading experience. That sounds fascinating. I have not read that. I'm gonna, I'll yeah, include a link to that in the show notes if any of yeah, our like, listeners want to beat me to it. It'll be a fifth one right here. So. Ooh, look at him. Props ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on the subject of sentence length, though, I do always like to point out um, it is one page, three-quarter page sentence, one longer sentence by like normal standards, like four, four-ish lines. Um, and then at the end, endless convoluted incest. So just not even a completed sentence, not even an independent <laughs> phrase, just a, a, a description. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just always love variety in sentence length. And I oh, kind yeah. of like that this, this big picture paragraph that, that you read for us is like massive length, longer, 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 short, extremely short. Um, I, I like that. Indeed, and, I, I love it too. And it's almost framed by the shorter sentences. At the very beginning and the end, we have yet at least he had believed in the cars, and then to that like final like sentence fragment at the end there, like kind of on either side, like expanding out then shrinking back down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like representative of how people think and talk, right? Like introducing a subject. <clears throat> oh, okay. They they will let me talk about this. They will let me think deeper about this. Like going into a really really long thought about it and then kind of like trailing off or ending like abruptly indeed (laughs) i have a a really good friend of mine who i used to work with um and he um he's incredibly intelligent but he would always start off like like super slow like he'd he'd talk about a subject let's say we're talking about like the election for example and then he'd just get incredibly animated and go in these like really long (laughs) sentences and then kind of like wind down and go to these short sentences um and yeah it definitely mimics what you'd find in real life so yeah oh i love it i love it okay well esteban how would you turn this into a writing exercise any of this yeah i think um i think you had to put it um Pretty great, Emily, when you had talked about your own writing exercise experience about writing about a job um, that you have to describe. I would also add that, like, write about something you hate. So to, like, um, perhaps we all hate our jobs, so everybody's going to like talk about <laughs> hating their jobs. But uh, something you hate, but I guess, like, try to squeeze it in with a paragraph. I think this is a good exercise in terms I, – I would turn this into an exercise of – in one page or less, like write about something you hate, something about that's mundane that you're trying to make extraordinary, but something that is also beyond mere description where description and the meaning behind the description and what it means for the world at large is interconnected within this particular paragraph. And um, if it turns out to be a poem, great. If it turns out to be a, a paragraph in a chapter you're writing, um, also great so long as you get the words on the page i think is incredibly important agreed agreed i love it yeah 
<laughs> cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing this also. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to revisit this book because when I read it when I was younger, I did not like it. Um, but reading this page again, I, I'm like, I think I was wrong uh, about it in my initial assessment because this is a very impressive page. Like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, is there any books that you all have read that you didn't like? Uh, speaking of the subject of hate, uh, mm-hmm. that you didn't like and maybe have come back to that um, you absolutely enjoy now? For me, Virginia Woolf. I tried Virginia, Virginia. Woolf. Um, you know, as a young lesbian, I tried Virginia Woolf like in high school for the first time, and I just my reading level wasn't there. I didn't appreciate mm. it, but I like refound Virginia Woolf, specifically Orlando in grad school, and just like was so impressed and riveted. And yeah, I, I actually Frankenstein too. All the classics. I just never didn't have the patience mm. for them as as a kid, and now revisiting them um, outside of you know homework deadlines um yeah i'm enjoying them so much more that's amazing yeah yeah there's definitely something like dante's inferno for me a similar thing where it's just like oh i just didn't understand what i was reading like yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that is what amazing. about you awesome. yeah um i there's one there's this particular book that always comes to mind it's a book of poems by um i think she lives in florida susan mitchell it's called the rapture oh. Whoa, um, hold up. And she, um, <laughs> Susan Mitchell. She's one of our faculty. Yeah. Oh, that's from amazing. Our, from, from, from our MFA, Susan Mitchell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, she she works in, was it, um, I forgot one of the Florida universities. Florida Atlantic. Yeah, Florida Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, that is so amazing. <laughs> wow. Small world. Yeah. It is a small world. I remember first reading, this is like one of my first poetry books that I ever got. And I remember reading it and feeling... Um, incredibly, a lot of things are pretty surreal in here, incredibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I like this. Like, mm-hmm. and I've since read it every single year. Just like, it's one of my favorite collections. It's a collection I recommend all the time. Just the language is beautiful. Um, even if there's maybe, um, hints of that uncomfortableness that I felt when I was reading it, like I, I enjoy it. I want to immerse myself in it. And this is just uh, an absolutely amazing collection. So. Wow. Yeah, Susan Mitchell's mm-hmm. Rapture. Mm-hmm. A little FAU plug. We're going to read that retweet this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think every poet should read this book, so yeah. Any any, any writer, any reader, really. Wait, that's a that's a huge recommendation. Every, yeah. every writer? Just because it's a balance of surreal? Or, or tell me more. Um, yeah. I just think that... Um, well, I think any writer should read just poetry in general. Um, Agreed. I, I think, like, in much the same way that poets, I think, should read um, a lot of fiction as well. Uh, not necessarily that there will always be, like, a, a heavy influence um, on one's work, but to to be a good reader, I think you have to read just as much as you can and as much mm-hmm. as possible. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's, like, my, mm-hmm. my plug. But I think just because mm-hmm. I like this book so much, I just want to recommend it to everybody. That's awesome. amazing. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's yeah. let's let's speaking of recommendations, let's move into our, our sign off for the week, which is yeah. um, a recommendation, um, <laughs> something that has brought you joy in the past week or so. Um, is it Rapture by Susan Mitchell? Yeah. It is, <laughs> or you can do a different uh, thing. <laughs> not Rapture by Susan Mitchell, uh, but it is actually. Uh, I was gonna go with this one, but let me go with this other book. It is titled. Um, let me see if I can find it right here. Oh, it is. Um, the Folly by a South African writer, Ivan um, Vladislavic. Um, he's a short story writer and a novelist. 
Uh, but this was his first, if I'm not mistaken, his first novel. It's kind of a parable um, slash kind of fable. In it, you have um, a character who and his wife who see this other character. And I can't, I can't really pronounce their names. I apologize for that. Um, but this other character come in and start building a house uh, in a adjacent vacant lot. Mm-hmm. And... The main character, I think his name is Magalas, Mr. Magalas, he starts helping this other character out and it just turns into a, a very absurd but also comedic um, novel that is really rich, rich in detail and, and very entertaining to say the least. Yeah. Amazing. Folly, what was the name of the writer? Uh, the Folly, Ivan Vladislavic. Ivan Vladislavic. I am so oh, impressed, nice. Esteban. You have a very international palette. Um, yeah. I just want to take a moment to, to celebrate that. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there was a um, early on, um, not that, I mean, I'm, I read as many American, one of my favorite writers, uh, I, obviously I picked Thomas Pynchon and then yeah, Cormac yeah. McCarthy, uh, but I'm also reading like this book, Diane Seuss's Frank Sonnets uh, as well. Um, but I found that like, um, that maybe I was being a little bit more insular than I than I than I had wanted to, and so I really was trying to um, expand, um, and always am trying to expand sort of where literature come from. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it can be written anywhere, and that's what's like one of the great things about this is that it doesn't have to be written. And I think we oftentimes, at least like people maybe who don't write, they think all writers like live in New York City or <laughs> or, or L.A. or they have this impression of writers and what they do, and in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, writers do everything and they come from all walks of life and that's what I particularly enjoy about literature in general. Mm. Amazing. I love mm. it. Ben, do you have a recommendation this week? Um, I recommend, um, I may have even recommended this before, but um, during the past week, uh, my wife and sister-in-law as well as myself, and we did it twice actually, we went on a uh, nature tour out here. There is a local park where you can go and ride a boat uh, through uh, some pretty pristine f- Florida wilderness um, out in the swamps out here. And it's, it comes from the... It's a river that's fed out of the largest freshwater spring in the entire world. We've done this a few times. Um, and I recommend if you have something like that near you, like a, a local nature preserve or something like that that you have access to, go and take one of the guided tours. Like, they're incredibly cheap. Like, you know, it costs eight bucks to do this. And you're going to see, like, some amazing stuff. We saw, we've seen a bunch of alligators every time we've done it. You see a bunch of cool birds. And we actually saw manatees on the last one, which was really awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah, so definitely worth your time. If you go back yourself without the tour, now you have all this, like, more depth of knowledge to draw upon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I moved to when I moved to Chicago, I took the um, architecture boat tour. Um, <laughs> everyone who visits Chicago takes the architecture yeah. boat tour. It was so <laughs> worth it, though. Like I've just <laughs> learned these facts that I just brought up regularly. Like, um, uh, there's this one skyscraper, like condo building, that Oprah Winfrey has a condo in, and mm. it is the only tall building in the area that it's in. The reason it's actually east of downtown, so it's like right butting up next to Lake Michigan. And the reason it's the only building there is because there wasn't supposed to be any buildings there. Uh, the city law was written as no one shall build on land east of whatever it was. Um, but then the developers argued, actually, that's not land, that's landfill, because it is not native land. It's landfill that's been like covered with, with mm. land. 
And so they got away with it, but then city council went in and added, like, in bold, underlined, or a landfill <laughs> east of whatever. So Oprah Winfrey has an almost illegal condo, if anyone asks, <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> um, yeah, I love those tours. It's, it's worth the investment. I love love to learn. Uh, my recommendation this week, and Ben, we may I may make you do an episode with me on, on this soon, mm-hmm. is an uh, essay by Melissa Fabos, a craft mm-hmm like essay in published in Kenyan a couple weeks ago. Um, it is about her like six philosophies, six rules to writing about living people. So Melissa mm-hmm. Fabos, for, if you haven't heard of her, is an amazing nonfiction, uh, creative nonfiction writer. Um, she is, uh, she's published three books now, most, most recently Body Talk and Girlhood. Um, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, and she's writes about some things that, you know, are, are touchy and, and writes about real life living people and, and she's got some good like guiding principles on, on how to do that so if you're a creative nonfiction writer um, I recommend this craft piece this, this craft I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here uh, follow the link below <laughs> to, to read the recommendations from Melissa Fairbanks in Kenyan Review um, cool I think that was this ep- episode Esteban thank yeah. you for joining us yes. thank you thank you so much Ben thank you so much Emily for having me on I really like talking pension just craft and um, just literature in general so it was absolutely amazing to be on this episode an absolute yeah. pleasure um, well congrats yeah. next year I expect you to have two more books published uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to those I actually <laughs> will have a book published next year so <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute right. do you want to give the plug give the plug yeah uh, yeah, it is a collection titled Loteria. Uh, anybody not familiar with Loteria, it's kind of a, a, a Mexican bingo game. We used to play it a lot um, growing up in the valley. Um, and so you have these cards that have different like pictures, like I think they're called like pictograms, uh, and they're just different pictures. Sometimes you'll have like, for example, one is called like La Sandia, and it's a picture of a watermelon. Another is um, what do you call it? El Bracho, and it's a picture of a guy like drunk. And so you would play. We'd play um, consistently. It's pretty popular. And you would just use regular, like, uncooked beans as, like, your place cards or whatever um, yeah. and to put it on the actual board. And you could have multiple boards. I remember my aunts, they would sometimes have up to, like, 15 different boards on their on the table. And they would be betting for quarters and dimes. <laughs> and so I ended up, um, there's 52 Loteria cards. I ended up writing... Um, about speaking of like the book length project right or the project mm. i wrote um the title of each of the poems is after loteria card and they're not necessarily like a classic poems about the actual image in the the card but they're sort of like um look at it more tangentially and so you'll see for example like the watermelon um i think the poem that i wrote uh, for this is about um me being incredibly scared that I was going to grow a watermelon inside me because my cousins uh, yeah. uh, scared me mm-hmm. into believing that if I ate a watermelon seed, I would be pregnant with a watermelon or something uh, or it would explode inside of me. Um, so different things taken from my childhood, um, 52 poems. It's called Loteria. It will be coming out in September slash October um, with Texas Review Press. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Amazing. Congratulations. That sounds awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We look forward to it. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And thanks everyone for tuning in for this episode of the Good Writing Podcast. Um, Esteban, Mm. where can people find you online? Uh, I'm I'm just mainly on Twitter. It is, I forgot even my Twitter handle, but it is Esteban JR11, I think. Um, 
<laughs> and that's where you can find me. You can find yeah. Esteban at the Twitter link below in our, yes. in our episode description. <laughs> <laughs> and if you um, uh, enjoyed this episode and want to send us a quick, quick note about us, you can find Ben and me on Twitter as well at GoodWritingPod. Or if you have like, a longer note and you want to send us, um, a, I don't know, whatever you want to send us. What, yeah. well, we'll take whatever you freaks have. Uh, we, are on, <laughs> we have an email at GoodWritingPodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.